Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POT patients and super-duper people who care about POT patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your horizontal host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries with Erin. Erin, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So we're excited to learn some basics with you. And it's funny because when we were talking two seconds ago, you phrased this question better than I did. So I'm going to phrase it as you did. Erin, what's your deal? Well, I am a newly graduated student, if you will. I graduated from Maryville University just a couple months ago. And now I am starting grad school. So I'm just hopping from one adventure to another. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. (laughs) It's a scary time, but it's overwhelming, but I'm very excited. And uh, I am a lifetime New Englander. So I am from Connecticut. I was born in Connecticut, grew up in Connecticut. I have not ever lived anywhere else. Um, And that's been okay with me. I I love it well enough. What is your town known for? I'm from Woolpit, Connecticut. Um, And I did find out just on a whim that the father of uh, Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, was born here. And I thought that was something interesting or really unique cool. about it. But besides that, there's not much I can say. That's, that's okay. Very interesting. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. How would your friends or family describe your personality? Um, I'm very bookish. I am pretty much reading or writing every minute of every day. Um, I'm definitely more introverted, but I would say that, you know, a lot of people do tell me I present extroverted, you know, in certain social venues, even though in my mind, I think that that is not me at all. I think I'm very introverted. So I think that my friends think that if I'm in the right space, I can come out of my shell a little bit. And I'm, you know, very talkative. Okay, so you are always either reading or writing. So I have to ask you about any book recommendations. What's your favorite book? Or if you were stuck on a desert island, what would be the book you want? I have so many. It's so hard. I do have a bookstagram. I'm a very lazy bookstagrammer, but I do have one. And I talk quite a lot on there about all the books that I read. But I'm definitely a lazy bookstagrammer. It's not a perfect aesthetic or a perfect spread it's just me rambling about books on instagram what is bookstagram i don't even know what this is instagram is basically just a community of book lovers Uh, just like there's book talk on tiktok bookstagram is just the little corner of instagram dedicated to people who love to read so just basically posting pictures of books and talking about books and bookshelves and everything you can think of that's basically all it is and I, I, I love it. I just started one on a whim. I've met great people as well through that little community. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I am in love with Terry Pratchett books. He writes mm-hmm. the Discworld series and it's kind of a fantasy series, but it's just um, kind of commentary on the real world using fantasy. And it's hilarious. Like every sentence is hilarious. And the reason I like it so much is because 
I don't sleep that well. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, the crucial thing for me is to not start thinking. And so I play his books all night and I can always count on wherever it is in the book when I wake up, I will be amused and I will want to pay attention to every single word because I feel like there's just a gem in every sentence of his. But he has like 40 books in the series and I've finished them and I've gone through them a second time and even a third time and they're kind of not keeping my attention anymore. And so mm -hmm. I'm on the lookout for the next series of things that can keep me keep me not thinking throughout the night. So that's why I'm always looking for book recommendations. I love reading for escapism. I get it. I'm I don't want to I don't want to think. I just want to read. That's it makes so much <laughs> Okay. So besides reading and writing, if we make you brag about yourself, what are you good at? I hate to say it, but I'm I I'm quite good at school. Just I've always been that kid who just I don't know. That was what I was good at. Um, I don't even mean it in a way of like, oh, I'm I'm so good at you know getting good grades because I don't really feel that way. It's not, but for some reason I felt like I could. It's just something I could do and did well in it enough where I was like, oh, like I guess this is gonna be my thing for a bit. This is cool. And obviously, it's tough to kind of separate that from what I already said that reading and writing. I'm got. I'm good at time management. I don't know. I can micromanage to a crazy degree, and I guess that's that's my big superpower. <laughs> it's how I get things done. I don't know. I won't probe into this, but you sound almost apologetic. A little bit, <laughs> tiny bit. Okay. So, what are you passionate about? Well, writing is is my entire life. Passionate to the point of it that like I can't really live without it. I wake up every day and that's what gets me out of bed. That's what gets me moving. That's, you know, how I almost frame time and segments of my life of when I was working on certain things and different projects. It all ties back to writing in a very surreal way. And writing is a it is a bit of an isolated profession or an isolated endeavor. I, I know that, but so it is a little hard because you do kind of live in your own world and you live in your own head and you work on your projects and then you have to come back to reality every once in a while and look around and be like okay get your bearings I'm here and you know talk to people <laughs> but how neat and, yeah. yeah but so it sounds like you have a super rich inner world though right you know I will blame it on being a Pisces I am a Pisces sun and moon that's a very live in your head kind of zodiac sign um, if I'm ever going to read into to astrology, that's when I do. Is when I'm like, I am through and through. That is my personality type. It's very busy up here in my brain. And I definitely, yeah, I live in my head to, for good or ill. I don't know. That's just how it is. <laughs> Certain kinds of writing you like to do more? Or do you do all kinds like fiction, nonfiction? I very much prefer out of everything short fiction. I love short fiction as a medium. I just love it so much. I feel like there's so much versatility in it. It's so, so fun. And you have a sense of accomplishment being able to make something. You, it's a little glimpse into usually just one emotion or one theme or one image. And you just kind of are able to give someone a very, very vivid glimpse of something. Um, and I think there's really great power in that. And I am working on a novel, but that is such a long-term project that, you know, balancing that with life and school is very hard. 
So I do favor short fiction. It makes me feel like I'm getting stuff done and I am creating and I'm making things that, you know, are meaningful and I can share them. And I've, you know, made lots of connections with people just through writing and a love of writing and storytelling. How neat. Short fiction right now. Yeah, it's my favorite. So are you going to graduate school for writing? I am. I got my BA in English and now I'm getting my master's in English. I definitely, I debated getting an MFA, you know, in creative writing because I, I love it so much. But ultimately, I don't know. I think that I still wanted to stick with what, what my original game plan was, which was just to get a master's in English, which is still incredibly versatile and really broad, actually. I mean, the amount of opportunities and courses and, you know, how I can apply writing is way more it's more advantageous to a career. And I do still love it. It's not that I am completely dedicated to fiction. I do love writing nonfiction and all other genres. So I wanted to, get, to continue with that versatility and learn more and more and dedicate myself to to this. And yeah, so I just kicked off grad school. And it's kind of terrifying, but also exciting. <laughs> well, okay. So let's move on to POTS. Did you have yeah. a life before POTS? And if so, how old were you when you got POTS? And what did your life look like when POTS entered the scene? When POTS entered the scene, I was 21. Um, and POTS was, is really actually a secondary diagnosis. I originally had a lot of autoimmune issues and was diagnosed with lupus. And that was, you know, my late teens, early 20s. And so POTS kind of hit me out of nowhere because I was already locked in like, oh, I have lupus and I'm this is, you know, what's happening and I'm going to work with this. I'm going to, you know, do what I have to do to, to function and to feel better. And then POTS came out of left field. I did not see it coming at all because it was a completely different animal. I'd never you know, experienced POTS symptoms like that. It was very shocking. It was very scary. And when that came along, I it definitely changed things for me. I think that even when I had the lupus diagnosis and I did have, you know, chronic things that were frustrating and difficult, I was still functioning quite well on a daily basis. I still was able to get out, really. I, I still really had more of a life, you know, outside of my room, outside of my own little space here. But POTS did kind of trap me a bit. It's been very difficult to begin to try and figure out how to, you know, get back to normal, quote unquote, when dealing with this kind of issue. So, yeah. Yeah. So like, what was your first sign? Did you have a moment where a symptom came on or was it kind of slow and gradual or what happened? It was the dog days of summer. I mean, really hot, you know, stifling summer. And I was definitely not feeling great. But in my mind, I thought, you know, hey, I have lupus. I'm going to Clear sometimes when I feel bad sometimes. It's no big deal. You'll be fine. Uh, eventually, I think I just had never had what I now realized was like, you know, I was having episode like um, pre syncope. And I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't really know what I was experiencing, uh, but I was so severely, you know, lightheaded and weak. Um, I mean, to the point where I could, you know, barely stand up. I was, you know, really just bedridden, super dizzy, super out of it. And, and I had no clue what was going on. I was, thought I was, you know, on my deathbed. I thought things were grim. I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is not going to be good for me. Yeah, very scary. Uh, very different than anything else. And it was somewhat sudden. 
like one day it seemed like it all hit like just something hit me and I will say I've always been deemed even when I was a child and even in my teens from doctors you know they kind of said you're a very sensitive person which I almost kind of took offense to I was always like hey like what do you mean and they're saying well you're just sensitive it seems like your body's just sensitive and you just sometimes can't handle things or and yeah I don't know I I've never been able to handle mornings my whole life always quite sick in the mornings just little things that started to add up um in my head where I was like wow maybe I always did have a form of this to some degree and then obviously now it's it's a bit of a beast but you know I'm managing so yeah. Oh, good. 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 Yeah. So with having a lupus diagnosis, you know, so many patients say that their POTS didn't get diagnosed for a long time because it was just attributed to anxiety or it's all in your head. I mean, did yours get attributed to your lupus? I mean, did it help that you already maybe had a doctor network to go to who knew you or what? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I, I was no stranger to the world of chronic illness. That's for sure. That was not new to me. So that is somewhat a you know a good thing i originally yes i was you know i think i went to the er twice that first time i mean i was so so sick i couldn't stand up i mean i was falling over i was so out of it and i think at the time yeah they probably looked at my medical history they looked at my char and they probably said oh like you if you have lupus if you have this history of stuff then no you're probably just having some type of flare or some type of reaction or something just as a miss, but it's probably just autoimmune. You're fine. You know, go home and rest and drink some water and maybe you'll be better. <laughs> Obviously, that wasn't the case, but I did get very lucky um, because it was my uh, rheumatologist who I had gone in maybe a week after I'd been at the ER, was still very sick, still couldn't do much. And she had, you know, jotted down like, I think you might have parts and brought it up just on a whim and sent me to a cardiologist who then sent me to a different specialist. I started that thing um, until I did get diagnosed. So I do kind of owe a thank you for kind of luckily just seeing the state I was in and maybe just having that inkling that maybe it was this, um, which set me on the right path. So before we go on with your pot story, if you don't mind me asking, what are the things that you're supposed to do lifestyle wise to manage lupus because the reason i'm asking this is that we're kind of familiar with one corner of the chronic illness world but lupus is a big deal is lupus like pots where you have all these things you're supposed to do every day to manage it or what definitely not as much every day as with pots my experience with pots is it's like a full-time job you gotta monitor like mad and be on top of everything your heart rate your blood pressure what you ate how much you're eating how much salt how much water it's constant it is a constant tracking task to to have to work every single day lupus was not really like that lupus was very muscular for me i had a lot of joint pain muscle pain muscle weakness muscle wasting uh you know i lost a lot of weight i felt sicker but i was not debilitated to the same point that i have been with pots it was a very different very, very different experience. And I did work with a naturopath for lupus, and it largely, I feel like, turned it around. I mean, my blood work did a complete 180. I, it was much better. I, she did wonders for me. Uh, so I felt like just working with supplements and exercise and more broad, long-term shifts did a lot for me, you know, even within like a six-month period. 
I did a lot for helping with lupus. Cats is just up and down, up and down. It's a bit of a roller coaster. It's different. Um, and yeah, and it is daily, way more daily management. But either way, I still think that naturopathic work is really, really helpful um, across the board, you know, for POTS or for lupus. So once you had a diagnosis and knew what was going on, did that help you find things that made you a whole lot better? Yes. Yes. I, <laughs> I think that the first step was compression socks. Definitely. I think once I realized that uh, I could do a little something to try and counteract all, you know, the blood pooling and try and get more blood up to my brain and not all in the bottom half of my body, that that would help just in the tiniest bit from when I wake up. And then salt, tons and tons of salt, just crazy amounts of salt. I never in my life would think that I would be ingesting as much salt as I do and how much of a difference it makes. It's completely integral to my daily life. I wouldn't be able to do anything <laughs> without these little things. It's crazy. Yeah, so definitely there were all the basic things I do help, but it's still frustrating, you know, because you get tired. You get tired of the management. Sometimes you slack off a little bit and then you pay for it. And so once again, it's ups and downs and ups and downs. And I did, for the most part, feel like I got about three months between like very bad flare-ups just for me personally i feel like when i started to track it or try and um just be more aware of when i was worse and when i was slightly better it seemed about three months i'd have three months of like okay you know not so not so bad you're doing all right and then i would just fall apart for two weeks two and a half weeks sometimes three so once again it's a roller coaster it's tough what does <laughs> what does falling apart mean for you it means largely being bedridden for the most part. Now that I'm aware of it and I know what it is, so I don't have to like panic about how I'm feeling. I'm like, oh, here we are again. That does help me turn the dial down a little bit on being overwhelmed by those periods of time. I'd say that the PAC's weakness and, you know, that lightheadedness is really, for people who haven't experienced it, is very, very severe. Um, like you really can't do anything like you can't you can barely lift an arm and when you lift an arm everything feels so heavy or so tired you know the headaches the brain fog but it's it's the whole nine yards and once you get that going um usually I do need a little help um you know and I have you know great support um with my family and my friends have been you know incredibly helpful and you know so supportive um because when you do get that to that spot which is falling apart as I called you know when you fall apart you need you know a little help just usually just with like little things with food and just little things when you know being on your feet for any stretch of time is way more difficult than it usually is so eventually so, you get right back up yeah. so I'd love to hear about the intersection of pots brain fog or other issues of the brain not getting enough circulation and your writing and both directions. How does POTS affect your writing? How does writing affect your POTS or living with POTS? And I'm not only curious about like, you know, obviously brain fog makes it harder to find words and things, but I don't know. Do you feel like you write differently when your brain is maybe a little starved or? Um, it's been, a, it's very strange because in a way, I feel like, yes, right when you're in the thick of it, it yes, it's hard to find words. 
it's hard to to do much of anything. You're kind of living in a haze. Everything's very disorienting. Um, but writing has always been this way for me to find so much clarity about my life and especially things that are very difficult to deal with. Feelings of grief, feelings of frustration and are very consuming if you don't have an outlet. And writing has always been the outlet. It's funny because I had these two different diagnoses from two kind of different points in my life. And both of them, I had written short stories right around the time that I was diagnosed for each of those. So I wrote one right after I was diagnosed with lupus. And I wrote one right after I was diagnosed with POP. And both of those really were, I think, the most clear I'd ever been about what I was experiencing. And both of those were published. One of them was published in an anthology that came out. It was officially published in February of this year. And the other one was published in Art Wife magazine. And it was just kind of surreal that I, that I was able to take these pieces that I wrote in what I think of as the hardest parts of my life, the darkest parts where I was really mentally, really struggling. And to then be able to create something and have it come to something and just almost felt like very full circle for me. So I think I've been using writing all this time to find those full circle moments is how I would describe it. That's how I've been thinking about it. And it just happened naturally almost. I did a free write and then you draft stuff and it just it just comes together. And then I was able to almost move on a little bit with my life I, I yes I do still write about chronic illness quite a lot I write about all that very much because you know it affects my life it's obviously it's, it's a very common theme in a lot of what I do but I was in a way able to then move on and say I'm, I want I want to tell other stories now I want to write other things I want to expand I want to think bigger I don't want to be limited to that even though it has been so 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 important in healing for me to be able to, Great. to create, yeah. I think is, is huge to create. So when you say, when you say that it comes full circle, <laughs> I was trying to figure out exactly what you mean by that. And it doesn't mean that kind of you experience something really tough, but mm -hmm. then maybe you make that mean something by turning it into some of your best work. Is that yeah. a little bit of what you think that maybe like the artist struggle is that we hear about yes. sometimes being helpful? Yeah. Yes, exactly. No, yeah, that's exactly right. I I think that at least for me, I I've always had a bit of a hang up with chronic illness because there's a huge sense of inadequacy, I think, that is not talked about a lot about when you're dealing with a chronic condition that, you know, makes your daily life look very different than from a lot of other people's lives. Is this really annoying <laughs> feeling of, you know, inadequacy about your life, about what you're doing that is quite damaging. <laughs> and it can be really, really hard to eventually get to the point where you're like, wait, no, like, no, no nothing is wrong. There's nothing wrong with me to, you know, to that degree. I think that it all got a little too mixed up in my like identity the illness became so 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 
ingrained in how I was thinking about myself, that writing helped me get away from that and be like, no, that's not the sum total of your existence. You're still able to create, you know, meaningful things. And it helped temper that a bit because I do struggle with that, you know, inadequacy. It's hard to get away from it. It really is. We all struggle with, you know, comparing ourselves and our realities to other people. I think that just gets heightened quite a bit when all of a sudden you're, you know, thrust into a, a very, very different reality than maybe you were expecting because of things like POTS and other chronic conditions. Yeah, for sure. What What is the biggest life change that you've made because of POTS, do you think? I would say it's also what I miss the most, really. It's the biggest life change is, you know, not being able to, like, walk everywhere and be on your feet all the time and go for walks around town and hikes, um, being in nature a lot to that degree. So having to accommodate quite a bit based off of not being able to just on foot just take on the world and that's okay i'm now realizing it's okay to be able to have to stop and say like hey i still want to experience this i still want to do things but i'm going to accommodate myself here because that's not where i'm at and that's fine and i know that it's an ongoing discussion a lot with the POTS community about eventually kind of making the leap and saying you know i am going to use a mobility aid because i need one And that's okay. You know, I might not need it every day. I might not need it all the time, but to start to get to that point, because it is, it is hard to, to do that, especially when you're in your teens or your twenties or people might be like, what are you doing? You don't need that. But just because, you know, it's an invisible illness, it doesn't, it's not apparent to everybody that you might require this, but whatever is most helpful when helping you get back out there is warranted. And totally fine and totally worthy. Yeah, but I do, I would say that's the biggest change is everything revolves around like, oh, how much time can we spend standing up? You know, whether that's Mm -hmm. cooking, cleaning, walking, hiking, anything like that. So, yeah. So I'm going to take advantage of you being a writer again and um, feel free to pass on this question. But as someone who has done so much writing and tries to convey compelling stories. Do you have any thoughts on how the POTS community can help itself the most when telling our stories or when talking about POTS or when trying to get other people to sort of understand? Is there any advice about how we communicate about that? For me, I would I would say that I think the lesson that I got from trying to take, you know, a POTS diagnosis and then write, especially write about it, write about experiencing POTS, is you kind of eventually have to, and this is kind of a lesson for all writers in general, you have to eventually get to the point where you have to be really vulnerable. Like writing is is quite vulnerable. (laughs) It's a very vulnerable act, really. Um, It's very difficult to a point where you have to be like, all right, I'm going to leave it all out there. I'm going to I'm going to say what I have to say on the page and that's what's going to happen and you're going to second guess yourself. You're going to think like, "Oh, but maybe so is someone going to read this or maybe they'll think of it the wrong way or oh, wait, no." And I think that my writing has always been about I've always been trying so hard to make it be as authentic as I could make it. Yeah. And I think that with pots, it's 
difficult because I know that there's a lot of people out there who, you know, really grapple with this in a way where it, where it does feel in a way like it is not able to be communicated fully. And I get that. I get what it's like to feel like what you're experiencing, like you can't fully communicate to someone else, especially someone who's not familiar. But writing is writing's always been my way. I feel like that's the way I've always been able to do it. Yeah. So vulnerability, authenticity. I think that that would that would be my biggest yeah for the POTS community. Just just lay it all out there. Let's just be honest. Like just <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Although I do have to laugh because you're reminding me of the first time that I think I tried to be so honest and vulnerable about some of my POTS symptoms. And it was with a POTS doctor, but I was kind of new to this whole thing about being a patient. And so the POTS doctor was a neurologist and I decided to kind of like be super honest and open about all my GI symptoms. And the reason this was a big deal for me is because my husband was there and like... I had a bunch of really embarrassing GI symptoms that maybe he guessed, but we had separate bathrooms, so who knows? <laughs> and this, I, I, I did it. It was a calculated risk to say this in front of my husband and the neurologist because I thought maybe this is going to be the set of clues that gets me an answer, that gets me help. Yeah. And it turned out that at least not with this neurologist, this neurologist just kind of looked at me like, uh, I only do neurology. <laughs> and so it took me a long time after that to be um, vulnerable again. But I, I had to learn to do it smarter and bring up the right symptoms with the right doctors in the right situations. Yeah. Um, and I'm over it now. But at the time I was like, oh, I can't believe I did that in front of my husband and I got nothing out of it. A little pot's overshare, no big deal. It's, it's no problem. It's all good. <laughs> Are you up for doing a speed round where you just say the first thing that comes to your poor oxygen-starved brain? Why not? Sure. Let's give, let's give it a go. What's your favorite way to get salt? Just completely raw. Just like, just mouthfuls of salt right from like the bag. <laughs> Ooh, hardcore. Yeah. What is yeah. the drink that you find the most hydrating? Right now... Drip drop, the drip drop zero sugar is my is my go-to. What's your favorite time of the day and why? Oh, I'd say like like nighttime, like right before bed. I'm a night owl, so I feel the best at night. I don't know. I feel very zen. I just feel like I've made peace with the day. I'm ready to go to bed and all's well. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, not again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Where is your favorite place to spend time and why? I've made quite a haven of my room. So I'm going to say first my room because I've made it my personal little just safe space and I love it. If not that, I would say my grandmother's backyard is beautiful. How many other POTS patients have you ever met face to face? None. <laughs> what is one word that describes what it's like living with chronic illness? In one word, or can it be a phrase? Actually, can we? Well, it can be three. Okay, give me your three, and then I have a follow up question. I would say bracing for impact. Uh, how I've always thought of it. Like you're always bracing for impact would be my. Brain. Yeah. And would you answer that question differently if you were giving one word what it's like to live with lupus versus one word what it's like to live with POTS? Wow, that's tough. I, I don't, I think they're very, 
the same? I would say the same. I wouldn't, I wouldn't differentiate them in that yeah, case. No. Yeah, interesting. What is some good advice you try to live by? I go back quite a lot to a quote that was in my my late grandfather's office. He had it hanging in his office for years. And it's I think it's from some writer who is Buddhist, maybe, or I can't remember the, her name. Uh, but the quote, I actually have it hanging now above my desk. And it's every moment is enormous and it is all we have. And that hangs nice. above my thing. Yeah. What is something small that brings you comfort or joy? My first thought was my cat, because he is quite small. He's a, he's a tiny little lanky thing, and I love him to death, so my cat. <laughs> awesome. Hey, who is somebody that you admire? My mind went right to James Baldwin, one of my favorite writers. I, I wish that he was alive when I was alive. I wish, because I would have done anything to have a moment to talk to him. He's just an amazing, 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 amazing writer and person. So, James Baldwin. Oh, okay. I just found my next book to try. <laughs> next author. Um, what's a food you like to eat a lot of? Pie. What's something you're proud of? I'm proud of being published in a book was monumental for me. I'm incredibly proud that I was able to do that. So. Do you have a link you can share with us that we could put in the show notes if people wanted to? I do, actually. Yeah, I do have the link. that because it's Okay, Google we'll media, put so it I there. I have the link to the story, yeah. Awesome. What's an activity you can enjoy even when you are maximally potsy? Writing. It's easy. You can write in bed. You can write on the floor. You can write anywhere. <laughs> so still writing, yeah. What helps you fall asleep? I meditate every night. I'd say meditation, guided meditations. I think Insight Timer is the best app. I use it every night. So that puts me right to bed. What's a gift you'd send to every pox patient in the world if you had infinite funds? Ugh, there's so much. I'd want to just send an, a huge care package. I guess I'll say just really, really, really nice, like, compression socks and compression stockings. You know, especially ones that you can, like, wear out. You know, it's very hard to dress up compression socks, I've learned. But <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out a fashion of that. But, yeah. What are you grateful for? My mom. My mom. Okay, please finish these sentences. I love it when I, oh my gosh, my first, my first thought was I love it when I wake up without like crippling. It's essential dread. It's, it happens every once in a while. It doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while you wake up and you're slightly refreshed for the day. It doesn't happen often. I know uh, and as POTS people, mornings are tough for us, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's lots Little of people friend. right now nodding their heads like existential dread. That's what that <laughs> feeling is. Thank you for putting a word to it. Okay, another sentence. People might suspect okay. I'm a potsy when... I slowly just like collapse to the floor. Or you find me sitting on the floor at all times in weird spaces. I call it floor time. It happens every day. You'll just find me sitting on the floor. <laughs> That's the next question. Where's the weirdest place you've ever had to sit down because of pots? I think it was like one of either like a Walgreens or a CVS or, you know, like some kind of drugstore. They have like those carpeted floors. Yeah. Fun time. Loves it. Yep. Yep. Good times. Nobody appreciates floor cleaners like a pot. Yeah. I know. <laughs> okay. So I just have a couple more questions. What do you wish more people knew about pots? I would say that it quite literally changes from day to day. I think there's like an expectation, like you don't look sick. And then the next day it's like, oh, I'm so sick. And also the unpredictability of it. 
it's hard to make plans when you have packs. It's really, really hard, especially in advance. If you tell me like, hey, I want to make plans six weeks from now. I'm like, I don't know about that because who knows what I will be like on the day. I have no clue. It seems risky. So yeah, I wish people knew how hard it is. It's really hard to make plans. You just never know what you're going to get on any given day. That's a good point. I, I actually had thought the other day that people have no idea how risky we are sometimes like like sometimes my actions for example probably make me look like I'm not a very big risk taker but they don't understand that you know sometimes on a hot day just going for a long walk yeah. to the farmer's market that's a big that's, risk that's that looks like the olympics that's serious that's intense <laughs> I'm a wild and crazy person if you look at yes. it from my perspective yes Okay, last question. Is there anything you'd like to say to your fellow POTS patients out there who are listening? What, what came right to me immediately and what I've been using almost as kind of like a mantra, almost. I think that POTS can be really disorienting in life. I think it can kind of shake your foundation and it can make things tough. I would say that my like little mantra to share would be to just focus on what's in front of you. That's how I've been, you know, getting by this year in particular. I think that's just been my, just on repeat in my head. It's just focus on what's in front of you and nothing else. That's also helpful when you're like having a very symptomatic day and you're quite dizzy and you're quite just off and just focus on what's in front of you. Nothing else is going to matter, you know, and, and just move forward from there. That's what I've been doing and. I'm getting by, so it's happening. I'm alive. <laughs> working out. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Erin, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights with us. We will get your links and put them in the show notes in case anybody wants to read your writing. We're excited for your future and to see what else you write. And um, we thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Okay, listeners, that's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Until then, thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone, and please join us again soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepotscast.com. Thanks for listening.